Today, Pastor Jamin continues our series on Genesis, and we will see just how powerful our intercession for others can be. So take a moment now and prepare your heart for today's service. I have a question because I'm curious. I'm wondering, does anyone, any of you here like to watch uh, daytime TV courtroom? This is not a setup for a punchline towards you or anything, but I'm just curious if there's any, are there, are there a few? Nobody wants to admit it. Courtroom, daytime TV, Judge Judge Judy, Judge Joe Brown. Anyway, <laughs> anyway, all right. Listen, I was always one that wondered, are these judges real judges? Are, are they like, do they re- literally hold the title? And so I did what anybody does when... When you want to find an answer nowadays, I Googled it, right? That's what you do. When you want to know, you don't have to go to school. Google, I'm just kidding. You have to go to school. Um, and, um, and so I Googled and I'm apparently I'm not the only one that's done this because I didn't even have to type my finish typing my question. It was already made for me. What TV judges are real judges. And interestingly, basically all of them, they're real judges. Judge, uh, judge Judy, judge Joe Brown, the, the one that's the judge for people's court. They've all held the title of judge and served in different places as, as judges. Now on these shows that, that are watched, they are not necessarily judges. They work more in the realm of arbitrators. All right. So basically what happens is the producers for these shows, they look through small claims court, uh, in their areas to find which one of these cases will bring the best drama to television. Cause of course they do, right? Cause they want ratings. And so they get these people to agree to come on, allow these judges to act as their arbitrators to, to give a ruling for them. And they sign a contract in agreement that says that they will honor whatever this arbitrator this judge brings to them and gives to their their ruling now there is one judge that is on television now in prime time who is not a judge nor has never had any legal background whatsoever and that is the judge steve harvey right um now he is very entertaining and uh he calls his courtroom a courtroom of common sense and God knows uh, we could use a lot more of that in our world nowadays. But anyway, um, uh, and, and it's not even categorized as the same way these daytime courtroom shows are, are categorized in the TV industry. But here's, here's the thing about all of these shows and about these, these people. Those who watch them, we, you watch them for the entertainment purposes. You watch them with an anticipation. What's the ruling going to be? But the thing is, once the judge has ruled, you can't argue with the judge. Once the judge is ruled, you can't argue with the judge. We're going into week five of our series in Genesis where we've been looking at the origin story, the creation story of man and humanity and, and, and creation itself. So week one, we started with the origin story of creation. And we looked at that. We, we have looked at the fall of Adam and Eve. We looked at where God took his first seat as judge when it came to the time of Noah. We looked at his unbelievable grace that he showed Noah and Noah's family. We looked two weeks ago at the great covenant that God made with Abraham. And as we move forward in our series uh, today, we're looking again where God takes his seat one more time early in the creation story as judge. And here's what I want you to see today. Here's what I want you to take home with you today. And like we said a few weeks back when we talked about Noah, the judgment of God is inevitable. You remember that? But here's what I want you to take today. The judgment of God is inevitable. The prayers of the righteous are effectual. And we're going to see that this morning as we jump into our series, jump into this week. But I want to quick recap of where we are, uh, of what's been happening so we know where we are in our story. Genesis chapter 13 
We, we, uh, we talked about it a couple of weeks ago when we were looking at Abraham. Lot and Abram's families, their entourages, they had grown too much. Remember that? And so they, they were arguing over the pastures and where their animals were feeding off of. They were arguing over the water. Think about it. If you grew up with a sibling and you had to share room, right? And you were arguing about that space. It's my turn in the bathroom. Get out, right? You know, all that kind of stuff. Uh, it's, it's kind of that, that type of situation is going. So Abram took Lot to the side and said, look, God has given us all of this land. You need to look and you need to see. I'm going to give you choice. You get first choice of where you're going. Lot looks out. Now, Genesis 13 tells us that uh, it, it was in, uh, the land was incredible. The pastures were beautiful. It, was, it almost reminded them of the, the gardens of, uh, of the Lord. It, it, it reminded them of the beauty of the land of Egypt. But when you jump down to verse 13 of chapter 13, it makes this statement. The people of that area were extremely wicked and constantly sinned against the Lord. It reminds me of the old saying, I've shared this before. If the grass looks greener on the other side, that might just be because it's sitting on top of a septic tank, right? It looks good. It's green. It's lush. But underneath is just a bunch of manure, right? I mean, it's not anything pleasant once you dig down and get into the, into what's underneath. But it turns out that Lot makes a choice. He wants to move towards that side and it's a bad choice. Genesis 14, when we go into that, we see that these uh, five ally kings come against these four ally kings who are rebelling against them and a war happens and Sodom and Gomorrah becomes a spoils. They get plundered through the war. Lot becomes a part of that spoils him and his family and his crew and they get taken away. We talked about the fact that Abraham has come rescue Lot from this. And you would think that Lot figures things out and he says, maybe I shouldn't move back near that area. But when we go to Genesis chapter 19, we find that Lot doesn't just move back close to the area. He moves into the area. Genesis chapter 19, verse 1, it says this. That evening, the two angels uh, came to the entrance of the city of Sodom. Lot was sitting there. He was sitting at the entrance of Sodom. And when he saw them, he stood up to meet them. And then he welcomed them and he bowed with his face to the ground to them. Now, sitting at the entrance of a city is another way of saying that Lot was living in the city. And not just was Lot living in the city, Lot was a leader in the city because the leaders within a city would sit at the entrance of a city. And so you've got these angels who approach and we know about these angels. If you've read Genesis chapter 18 already, when you get to Genesis 19, you know about these guys because you've read about them. We'll jump, we're going to actually jump back in a moment as we come to the close of our service to Genesis 18. But what Lot sees, Lot sees these guys just like everybody else in the community sees these guys. And he's like, man, these are some bad dudes. I mean, there must be something about them that just stands out. They're, they're who they are, the, what they look like, how they carry themselves and their demeanor and their, their build, I guess. And so he pleads with them and go back to his house. They go back to his house. And when they go back to his house from men from the city of Lot come to talk to Lot and they knock on his door and they said, those men that came into your house, give them to us. This is the wickedness of the city. Give them to us because we want to have sex with them. And Lot begins to barter with them. And as a father to a daughter, this disturbs me so. Lot looks at the men bartering with them and says, here, take my two virgin daughters and do what you want with them instead. What is wrong with Lot? 
what is, what, why would he make that decision? Why would he make that statement? Why would he do this? But Genesis chapter 19, let's, let's read some passages from Genesis chapter 19. We're going to start at verse 9. After Lot does this, the angels, <laughs> I would love to see, I mean, I, actually the Bible, I think, kind of portrayed this. Remember the Bible series that portrayed this? It was, it was an awesome imagery. But the angels, they're like, okay, it's time. So they, they shout, stand back. Or this, this is the guy, stand back. This, came, this man came to town as an outsider, and now he's acting like our judge. These are the guys of Sodom. We'll treat you far worse than those other men. And they lunge towards Lot to break down the door. But, but the two angels reached out, pulled Lot into the house, and bolted the door. Then they blinded all the men, young and old, who were at the door of the house. So they gave up trying to get inside. I guess so. <laughs> These guys are some bad dudes, right? You don't want to mess with them. Meanwhile, the angels questioned Lot. Do you have any other relatives here in the city. And I can kind of hear to me when I read this, I believe they're speaking this with urgency, right? Get them out of this place. Your sons-in-law, sons, daughters, or anyone else, for we're about to destroy this city completely. The outcry against this place is so great as it has reached the Lord and he has sent us to destroy it. So Lot rushed out to tell his daughter's fiancés, quick, get out of the city. The Lord's about to destroy it. But the young men thought he was only joking. At dawn the next morning, the angels became insistent. Hurry, they said to Lot. Take your wife, your two daughters who are here. Get out right now or you will be swept away in the destruction of the city. When Lot still hesitated, The angels seized his hand and the hands of his wife and two daughters and rushed them to safety outside the city for the Lord was merciful. When they were safely out of the city, one of the angels ordered, run for your lives and don't look back or stop anywhere in the valley. Escape to the mountains or you'll be swept away. Oh no, my Lord, Lot begged. You have been so gracious to me and saved my life. And you have shown such great kindness. But I cannot go to the mountains. Disaster will catch up to me there and I will soon die. See, there is a small village nearby. Please let me go there instead. Don't you see how small it is? Then my life will be saved. Lot is in a situation where his decision to to go and to move into Sodom and Gomorrah, make this his home and establish this place as a place for his family. These decisions are now coming back to bite him. And the men in that city, they have allowed Lot to take place as some type of leader within the city. And and they say, look, now he's trying to act as our judge. If they don't like the way Lot's judging them, they definitely aren't going to like the way God judges them. Remember, these are evil and wicked people, Genesis 13 tells us, Moses tells us. And it wasn't just their sexual perversion that caused them to be evil. Although it was sexually perverse. They had totally disregarded the way God had commanded relationship to be in the home. Between man and woman, one man, one woman. 
And we see this as creation has started early in the book of Genesis. We're seeing a distortion of what God had laid in place. But not only that, Ezekiel chapter 16, look at verse 49. The prophet Ezekiel describes their evil and their wickedness. Sodom's sins were pride, gluttony, laziness. While the poor and needy suffered outside her door, she was proud and committed to testable, she, she was proud and committed detestable sins. So the prophet reminds them, so I wiped her out as you have seen. And we look at that and we say that's harsh. But look at Lot again. Did you notice? I pause to make sure you notice. Lot hesitated to leave Sodom. He was so in love with the world he was in that he couldn't leave it. He literally had to be drugged from the city. We said this a couple of weeks ago when we were talking about Noah. Sin is internal. It's a matter of the heart. Sin is pervasive. It grows. Sin is persistent. It will never start ch- stop chasing you. And that is why outside of the grace of God... We're lost. We cannot defeat sin outside of the power of God. And Lot is a demonstration of the progression of sin when sin is not confronted. He was so attracted to the appearance of Sodom and Gomorrah that he slowly became not just a part of Sodom and Gomorrah, he became invested in Sodom and Gomorrah. Now, we do have these words from Peter. In 2 Peter chapter 2, verse 7, look at what he says. But God also rescued Lot out of Sodom because he was a righteous man who was sick of the shameful immorality of the wicked people around him. Yes, Lot was a righteous man who was tormented in his soul by the wickedness he saw and heard day after day. Now, Peter points out that Lot was bothered by the sin in Sodom. He was disgusted by it. He was troubled by it. But the question is, why didn't he do something about it? Why was he passive in it? And why was he buying into it? I'm not questioning the words of Peter. Don't think that I'm doing that. I'm going to elaborate more on that in just a second. But we have to combine the context of the whole of Scripture. Lot moved into Sodom. And he became a part of Sodom. He was allowing a fallen, sick, and perverted culture to start affecting how he was living and the decisions that he was making in his life. And although Lot was righteous, he was allowing that to happen. Although Lot was delivered it looks like he lost his testimony with his family. He goes to his daughter's fiancés to tell them with urgency, get out now. God's about to bring his judgment. But what do they do? They laugh at him. They can't take Lot seriously when Lot starts talking about God. It 
If you keep going in Genesis chapter 19, you see that Lot's daughters are trying to continue the growth of their family. They don't have children and they're like, what are we going to do? How are we going to grow our family now? What's going to take place? So they make a decision about how to do that without a lot of biblical godly wisdom. And they make a decision that seems to reflect more of what they learned while they were in Sodom and Gomorrah than what they learned under the counsel of God and following God. They made a decision to get their father drunk. And their father impregnated them. The oldest child, the oldest daughter would have a child and name that child Moab, which means son of my father. The youngest has a son and names him Ben-Ami, which means son of my kinsman. I guess she's not as bold to proclaim where the son came from. The birth of these two sons would be the birth of the Moabite and the Ammonites, which would be two groups that would oppose the people of Israel. The people that were in covenant relationship with God. Listen, your decisions that you make in life, they might be personal, but the consequences are very rarely private. And the consequences very rarely affect just yourself. They will affect those around you and often those closest to you. But despite Lot's compromises, God still considers him righteous. That tells you something. We shouldn't look at that and think, well, God still considered Peter, or uh, God still considered Lot righteous, so I guess we can do whatever we want as long as we're redeemed by God and we'll still be considered right. No, we look at that and we, can, we look and see the amazing grace and mercy of God. That's what we get out of that. God is full of grace and he is full of mercy. You know, Lot demonstrates, the only times we, it appears that Lot demonstrates faith is when, is when he leaves with Abram and leaves his family to go journey. And then when he doesn't look back on Sodom and Gomorrah like his wife did. The truth remains in all this. There's a progression of sin that wants to lead us to destruction. And the progression of sin doesn't care whether or not you have bought into God or you haven't. Sin is coming for anybody it can come for. And the progression of sin wants to lead you to destruction. And that progression starts with the love of the world. A disciple of Jesus Christ, an apostle of the early church, John wrote his first letter. And he wrote this letter to the believers in the churches. And in 1 John chapter 2, verse 15, look at what he tells them. Do not love this world, nor the things it offers you. For when you love the world, you do not love the Father in you. For the world offers only a craving for physical pleasure, a craving for everything we see, and pride in our achievements and our possessions. These are not from the Father. That's from the world. And he says this, this world is fading away along with everything that people crave. But anyone who does what pleases God will live forever. As I was worshiping over there this morning and I, and I knew where the message was going, I just couldn't help but hear this phrase over and over in my spirit. It was that, you know, some of us, or some love the feeling that you get from the choices that you make towards the things of this world that the world gives you but you're not going to like the future that those choices give you. You might like the feeling it gives you now, but you're not going to like the future it brings later. And the future it, that, uh, that comes later 
is more important than the feeling you're getting right now. Listen, I, many of us have been to Carowinds, right? And there's a, everybody loves to stop early in Carowinds and get that picture. It's that picture where you're straddling the state line, right? South Carolina, North Carolina. We love to stop and we love to take that picture. But if we're going to enjoy the park, we eventually have to make a decision and go one way in the park, right? We're either going to make the decision to be righteous and go towards South Carolina <laughs> or be unrighteous and go towards North Carolina. Right? Just kidding. Just kidding. We, we, have to, we have to make that decision. Listen, when... Speaking to one of the seven churches through John, Jesus told John to write these words. Revelation chapter 3, verse 15. He said, I know all the things you do that you're neither hot nor cold. I wish that you were one or the other. Make a decision, he says. But since you are like lukewarm water, neither hot nor cold, I'm going to just spit you out of my mouth. Jesus does not look favorably to the half-committed. And the truth is, when you plant your, when you pitch your tents in Sodom, it gets harder and harder to leave Sodom. And you're becoming more and more like Sodom than you are becoming like Christ, who you are supposed to be becoming like when you are in Christ. But we also see through the situation of, of, with Lot is there's no escaping. There is an incoming judgment of God. There is a judgment of God that we cannot avoid. God's judgment is inevitable. We talked about it with Noah. And, and God's judgment is inevitable, but what? The grace of God is available. God's grace was available to Noah. God's grace was available to his family. God's grace is available to Lot here, we see. There's another powerful truth in this passage. And that's the prayers of the righteous are effectual. Listen, it's remarkable how God points to Sodom and Gomorrah about the judgment of God all throughout scripture. This, this event, along with Noah's event is referenced. This event of Sodom and Gomorrah is referenced in Deuteronomy, Isaiah, Jeremiah, Amos, Zephaniah, Peter even references, go back to second Peter verse six of that chapter, chapter, uh, chapter two. Later, God condemned the cities of Sodom and Gomorrah and turned them into heaps of ashes. He made them an example of what will happen to ungodly people. He's saying there is a judgment that comes. Look at the words of Jesus' brother, Jude, in Jude chapter 1, verse 7. And don't forget Sodom and Gomorrah and their neighboring towns, which are filled with immorality and every kind of sexual person. Why is he telling them don't forget it? Because remember what happened to them. (laughs) You're not going to like the future. Jesus spoke to the coming judgment in reference to Noah's day. He does the same with Sodom and Gomorrah, Matthew chapter 10, verse 14. If any household or town, this is when he's speaking to his disciples and he tells them that you need to go out and begin to to speak uh, of what I've told you to speak. He says, if any household or town refuses to welcome you or listen to your message, uh, shake its dust from your feet as you leave. I tell you the truth, the wicked cities of Sodom and Gomorrah will be better off than such a town on the judgment day. And he goes on and he starts talking about, in in other passages you'll see it, he says uh, to to cities Chorazin, uh, Bethsaida, and Capernaum, He tells those cities, he's like, look, you have seen the work of God firsthand personally through Jesus Christ. And you're ignoring it. And he tells them that Solomon Gomorrah was better off than you. If Solomon Gomorrah would have seen what Jesus did, they would have turned. 
He tells them, you're worse off. That means we're worse off. Because we know what Jesus Christ has done. We know about his death. We know about his resurrection. We know about how he changed our lives through that. And because we know about that, if we refuse to accept him, we're worse off than Sodom and Gomorrah. Jesus is saying to them, don't just take notice of the wickedness in this world you need to avoid. Believe in and follow the one who came to save you from the wickedness. And follow him with fervor and with passion. Because the fiery destruction and judgment that comes to Sodom and Gomorrah is just a miniature preview of the judgment coming from God. Luke 17, we'll look at Luke's version. Starting at verse 18. Or excuse me, verse 28. And the people and the world will be as it was in the days of Lot. People went about their daily business, eating and drinking, buying and selling, farming and building until the morning lot left Sodom. Then fire and burning sulfur rained down from heaven and destroyed them all. Yes, it will be business as usual right up to the day when the Son of Man is revealed. On that day, a person out on the deck of a roof must not go down into the house to pack. A person out in the field must not return home. Remember what happened to Lot's Wife, if you cling to your life, you'll lose it. But if you let your life go, you'll save it. Lot was not saved because he was morally outstanding. He was saved because God is incredibly gracious. Isn't There's a coming judgment. We don't know when it's going to be. But we are foolish if we live our lives feeling that, well, we've always got time. I can enjoy what I want to enjoy now. We don't. And I'm not saying that to use fear tactics to push someone into salvation to the grace of Jesus Christ. I am saying that to let you know that God has already intervened for you. And we don't have to live in fear. Whether God comes back while we're living or not, we can't escape God's judgment. When we die, we face God's judgment. It's appointed unto man once to die and then the judgment. But here's the good news. God's judgment doesn't have to catch you off guard. Here's the even better news. God's grace can cover you from God's judgment. Believe in Jesus Christ. Repent, the word says, which means turn from the life you're living without Christ. The life you're living that doesn't represent and reflect Christ. Turn from that and come to Christ and do what Jesus says, take up your cross and follow him. And Paul said it this way, I have to die daily to myself and my fleshly desires. God intervened. So Lot was saved, but there's another picture at play here. 
There's intercession. Look at Genesis 19, 29. God had listened to Abraham's request and he kept Lot safe. Very quickly. In Genesis chapter 18, these angels appeared to, to Abraham. There's three when they come to Abram. There's two when they get a lot. One of them did not make the trip to Lot. But I want to show you some parallels real quick. When they approached Abraham, Abraham was sitting at the entrance of his tent. Lot was sitting at the entrance of the city. Where you choose to sit is important. Abraham was sitting in the place that was his home. The place where God had called him to. He was invested in that. Lot was invested in making a name for himself. When, when, uh, when the angels came in, Abraham washed the feet of the angels and then invited them to come sit with him or come to his home, come in his home. Lot told the angels where they could go to get their feet washed and then invited them to his home. It's a difference in the heart. The heart matters. Abraham had the heart of Christ before Christ ever walked this earth. What did Jesus do for his disciples? He washed their feet in a sign to show, do this for others. What is he saying? You need to put the needs of others ahead of your own. When Abraham offered his invitation, they immediately came in. When Lot offered his, they didn't. Lot had to persist. But thankfully, because he persisted, they came. They both, in both situations, they came to make an announcement. They came to announce to Sarah and to Abraham that Sarah's going to have a child. Their child. Abraham and Sarah's child. And as they're leaving, one of the angels said, should I hide this announcement from Abraham? Should I hide from Abraham what I'm about to do? He speaks as if Abraham is a friend. And the recognition of that individual is Lord. Not just a Lord, but the Lord. Most scholars refer to this as a Christophany. This is an appearance of Christ in the Old Testament. So these men came to Abraham to announce a birth, to announce new life, to announce vision. They came to Lot to announce death and destruction because of wickedness. And where Lot barters with the sin of the men of Sodom, he barters one sin for another sin. Abraham begins to barter with God. Where Lot is having to be drugged out of Sodom and Gomorrah to Avoid the judgment of God. Abraham is trying to pull God back from bringing judgment. Genesis 18, 25. He's bartering with God and he says to him, surely you wouldn't do such a thing, destroying the righteous along with the wicked. Why would you be treating the righteous and the wicked exactly the same? And in this bartering, he takes God down from 50 to 10 righteous people because Abraham knows God is a just God. He hates injustice, but he loves people. So he's saying, for the sake of the righteous, God, won't you spare the wicked? And I don't know why Abraham stops at 10, but here's the thing. God knows the heart of Abraham and he knows what Abraham is interceding for. And he knows that Abraham is interceding for Lot and for Lot's family. So God rescues Lot because of the intercession of Abraham. The judgment of God is inevitable. The prayers of the righteous is effectual. 
Think about the city around you, the community that you live in, the family that you are a part of. Think about what Jesus has done for them and what Jesus wants to do in them. We need to pray for our city. We need to pray for our community. We need to pray for our family. And don't be afraid to pray big, bold prayers of faith. One of the saddest statements from Matt in, the, in the book of Matthew is Matthew 13, 58. When Jesus was in a city, it says this. He only did a few miracles because of their unbelief. Your faith unlocks the power of God. I'm not saying to you that if you're praying and seeking God and something's not happening, it's because you don't have enough faith. I'm not saying that. That statement gets misused and abused. But there is a part of our faith and believing that God can that's important. Because your faith unlocks his power. So you believe that God can and you trust God's will. Notice I didn't say you believe God can and you trust that he will. You believe God can and you trust his will. It's a difference. So pray. Pray with boldness. Pray believing. Because you've got a big God. I'm about to wrap up. Listen, I know Pastor Caleb, he speaks 20 minutes. Y'all love that. I come up here, I speak a lot longer. You're like, would you get over it? Get, get done. I'm about to be. John Newton, who wrote Amazing Grace. He wrote, he wrote several hymns. There's another one not nearly as popular. You've probably never heard of it. Come, my soul, thy suit prepare. He has this line in that song. It says this. Thou art coming to a king. So with thee large petitions bring. For his grace and power are such. None can ever ask too much. You can't ask too much of God. Do your prayers fill with God's heart. And seek with God's eyes. Pray, pray boldly, pray, pray fervently, pray persistently. Jesus tells the story of a a persistent widow in the gospels and he, and he, and she's seeking an unjust judge. And Jesus tells this story because he wants them to see that this is an unjust judge that shows mercy to a persistent woman. God's not an unjust judge. He is a just judge. And if God is a God of mercy, Or if this unjust judge will show mercy to a persistent woman, how much more will a God who loves you and who is just show love to you? You've been placed in the community and your family to pray on their behalf. Why? Because the judgment of God is inevitable and the prayers of the righteous are effectual. So pray boldly. Pray with faith believing. Pray persistently. Don't give up. Pray expecting that God is going to move and God is going to work. Don't fall into the trap that the world is becoming, uh, is, 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 is falling away and, and I'm discouraged about the church. I see all these numbers. The numbers of the church are declining. The numbers of the church are going down. Jesus has a promise to fulfill. Jesus did not allow his disciples to stay huddled in fear, hidden in their homes. He gave them the Holy Spirit to go out with boldness and proclaim the name of Jesus Christ and to pray with boldness. You've been placed in your community and your family to pray on his behalf because the judgment of God is inevitable, but the prayers of the righteous are effectual. Abraham followed God. He trusted God and he prioritized God. We've got to prioritize God. Lot stopped prioritizing God. But thank God for Lot, Abraham didn't. You've been placed 
in this community or whatever community you live in, you have been placed in your family for a purpose. Pray for them. Don't stop praying for them. Pray persistently. Pray expectantly. Pray boldly. Pray believing. The judgment of God is inevitable. The prayers of the righteous are effectual. God works through your prayers. Stand with me this morning. So that's why we're going to close the way that we're going to close today. That's why I believe God was working and moving through that song we were singing at the end. And we're going to speak the name of Jesus. We're going to speak the name of Jesus over our family. Why, why were some so moved by that? Because they believe God can touch their people in their families' lives and change their lives. They want to see him do that. They want to see God move. They want to see God work. So I'm going to invite my, those on my prayer team who have asked to be part of that to come. They're just going to stand around down here. And as we close out this time of worship together, I want to encourage you to pray. To pray for your family. To pray for those you love. To pray for those that, that you work with. Pray for those that you participate in this community with. And there is power in the agreement of prayer. Jesus said where two or three come together. His presence is there with them. There is power in agreement and prayer. So these people are here. If you so choose to come down and say, agree with me in prayer over this person. Agree with me in prayer over this, these people. And let's pray together that God's grace and God's mercy will work. God has intervened through Jesus Christ. Now you need to intercede on their behalf. He can move and he can work. David, why are you so passionate about this? Because if we're not passionate, we're losing people to hell. Jesus has a greater future for them. If you're here today too, you may be like Lot. You may be letting your life become more like Sodom than like Christ. need to get out. You may enjoy the feeling now, but you're not going to enjoy the future that those choices lead you to. There are stories all throughout this room that can tell you that. So let's just close today worshiping and interceding. If you need prayer in any way today, we would love for you to reach out to us. You can go to our website, bwccamden.com, go to our contact page. You'll find the link there to uh, request prayer or send us anything that you uh, would like to communicate with us today. Or you can also simply text the word prayer to 803-676-7566. And we will be back in touch with you to find out how we can be in prayer for you. God bless you. We hope that you have a great week.